This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Sam Moyer. Sam makes sculptural work that often incorporates ready-made slabs of marble, fabric-covered MDF, glass, cast bronze frames, and welded metal armatures. While the final presentation of her work shifts from being on the floor, in nature, or on a wall, there is a sincere interest in how materials and surfaces communicate with each other, the exchanges between found and made, and the perception of weight. The work is stoic and monumental and graceful all at once. We recorded the following conversation at her studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. sort of reflected on this, I don't know, a month or two ago when we were hanging out, I don't know where, but I was reminiscing over the first work of art of yours I saw. <laughs> Which I don't think you actually saw fully installed. No, I saw it in a party because yeah. I met you at a New Year's party. Oh, yeah. And I, don't, I can't remember what year that was, but I think you had just moved to New York or shortly, you hadn't been It was 2008. That? It was 2008. We were ringing in 2008. Okay. And it was a studio party. Yeah. New Year's party. Mm-hmm. And I met you, and we were hanging out, and someone pointed out, like, that's Sam's work. And I'm going to try and describe it, and you tell me <laughs> if this is accurate. It was a a, um, a, a plaster keg, like uh-huh. a mold of a keg made in plaster with an animal fur draped over it. <laughs> and it was, it was just sort of sitting on the floor under, like, in, like, leaning against, um, like, a column that was, you know, part of the building. And I, I don't think it was, it wasn't on display necessarily. It was just sort of resting there. I was already taking advantage of Eddie for storage. Yeah. (laughs) So so it was just storage, but that was, that was the first thing of yours I saw. And one of the things I was excited to talk to you about was sort of how your work has evolved and developed since then. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we can, if I can cite that as the first thing I saw, I know you, the work you made before that was probably different. The next work of yours I saw were, I think the um, IKEA rugs that you had dipped oh, yeah. in black. Was that tar or paint? It it was wax. It, it was, was a black wax. It was like a poor man's encaustic. Okay. Um, but in that same presentation of work, there were also your book sculptures mm-hmm. and a few Sumi ink drawings, mm-hmm. frame Sumi ink drawings. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then from there it went to the, the dyed creased fabric pieces mm-hmm. that you then would, um, glue onto a panel mm-hmm. and present like a painting. Right. Um, and then the next body of work was the introduction of the marble stuff. Is that the right timeline? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, are you comfortable sort of talking about how one thing led to the next? Because for me, I think I, I can put it together, but I'd love mm-hmm. to hear you talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, the keg piece you're talking about was sort of the uh, central item in my thesis show after gra- uh, in grad school. school. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom's a shrink, you know? Okay. And... Um, she taught me this theory that I bring up when I talk to students at colleges all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's called like baby rattlesnake theory, 
So okay. People have heard me talk about this, so everyone's going to be like rolling. Their no, eyes. let's assume that like there's, that's the thing with this. Like, people are going to know your work and know a little bit about you. I'd like to think a majority of people, you're a complete stranger. So this is right. all new information. Right. Let's operate on that plan. So the baby rattlesnake idea is uh, when we're young, when we're little babies, we try to put everything in. Everything's like a kitchen sink omelet. Like. Mm-hmm. That piece was incredibly sentimental, and I was trying to smash every feeling I've ever had mm-hmm. into this sort of totem like thing, mm-hmm. you know, somehow manifest my feelings into object. Yeah. And baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous than big old rattlesnakes because they bite you and they dump all their venom into you. But because they hold on for so long, they're more likely to be killed. Okay. You're more likely to reach down and kill the snake. Right. The big ones. They've been alive a long time. They roll up. They give you a little tiny, like, warning bite. And they, and get, they slither and off. And they slither off. Right. <laughs> so you saw, you know, my baby rattlesnake okay. work. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and, then, and then, well, maybe we could just sort of zoom ahead. Yeah. To, um, well, well, real quick. Yes. Or maybe not real quick. But I saw a nice um, bridge between the stained fabric pieces um, and the sort of, uh, of marbling that took place through that dyeing process mm-hmm. and through the like crinkled fabric and how those fibers absorb some of the ink or paint. Was it ink that you were mm-hmm. dyeing it in? Like I saw an aesthetic relationship between the effects of um, the visual effects that that gave, the sort of illusion of light or... Um, landscape um or even moving water i thought of the first time i saw those and then the bridge from those to the marble pieces and just the 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 similarities the visual similarities between the veins of the marble and the veins of how that ink Mm -hmm. sat on on the fabric through the process you did Mm -hmm. is am i sort of is that fair for me to make that connect that visual connection totally the the marble to, to paint, so those paintings were really, my first thing that I was very interested in was photography. Okay. I actually went to college for photography. I wanted to be a photojournalist. Okay. And that's why I went to school in D.C. And then once I got there, uh, 9-11 was my first day of school. And uh, everybody in the photojournalism program, like, hit the streets. This is undergrad. This is undergrad, okay. yeah. And I was going to school across the street from the White House. Okay. And... Uh, I just got kind of like, I didn't want to be like, dude on the ground, you know, (laughs) that wasn't what I was interested in. I wanted to be like Mary Ellen Mark. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I bounced from the uh, photojournalism program and went into fine art photography. But basically, that's uh, unnecessary information. Photography, so light has always been like the major thing that Mm -hmm. I've been focused on. And uh, those paintings, those dyed paintings always felt like some kind of way for me to be in touch with photography and printmaking and like the illusion of light mm-hmm. and somehow like approaching light in a way where it actually has nothing to do with it, but I'm still in conversation with it. Yeah. Um, and so I would make those huge paintings and, you know, people unpack whatever they want to unpack with those things. So some people would be like, I see faces. Yeah. And some people would be like, I see well, a mountain the, range. That's the nature of something that's non-representational. <clears throat> yeah, of We course. apply our own logic to it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, I was really into this idea of, of pattern and how, like, these patterns in nature kind of evolve over time into, like, these uh, formal patterns that we're used to in, in you know, clothing, textiles, like, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, 
one doesn't exist without the other, Mm -hmm. you know, chicken and the egg or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yes, people would constantly tell me what they saw in those paintings and I'd listen and that's Mm -hmm. fine. And they were very landscapey for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was preparing to do my first, uh, like a big thing with Rachel Uppner. I was going to do a solo booth um, at NADA. Mm -hmm. And my plan was to do these three giant paintings and I wanted the booth to be like really clean and minimal. And she was like, well, I need furniture. Like mm-hmm. I need a place to sit yeah. and you yeah. know, have a laptop and some paper. practical yeah. objects. And she was going to, she had just bought these uh, stools from CB2 that were cool, but they were chartreuse. And I just kept like, it was like they were burning in my mind. And I was like, no, I can't have these stools in front of these paintings. Yeah. And so I, finally started kind of like listening to this idea of like, oh, everyone said marble, marble, marble. And I was already like experimenting with turning the fabric into a harder material to like mimic marble. Mm -hmm. So I went to the marble yard and I found a stone that totally matched the paintings because I was still in those beginning phases where you go to like pretty primary thinking and you're like, match. All right. Um, And I uh, garnered up the courage to spend the money to make this bench on a marble and it broke and it was <laughs> devastating then I had to pay for it again uh-huh. um but that was my first interaction with like trying to bring this relationship between something that was fabricated by me and something that was made by nature in a direct conversation right 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 um it's also cool to think about the thing on the wall for viewing and then the thing in the on the floor for sitting yeah um so the the first exploration of the marble was a functional object, not yeah. not a. Well, I was trying to use it the way you use it, which is sure. a building material. Sure. Yeah, that's um, great. And that's also something that is continuous in my work is trying to give people a place to sit down. Mm-hmm. I think that sitting down is really important. Yeah. Because uh, I'm lazy, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> you, mean, you mean sit down like spiritually. No, I mean literally sit, sit down, down. Okay. and look at a piece of work because sometimes if you're allowed to sit down, like you'll notice in uh, museums if there's like an amazing, huge, like Frankenthaler or something, there's usually, that's the piece there's a bench in front of and mm-hmm. it's like the curator's like, sit down. Right, right, right. Take a look, right. you know? Uh, but I'm like kind of a control freak, so I want to like control what that thing is that you're sitting on. Right. And what it looks like. And I want it to have a relationship with the work and a relationship with the architecture to the room. And so... Mm-hmm. It's a way to sort of like, I want everything to be in conversation all the time. Mm-hmm. No one gets left out of the conversation. No, that's fair. And healthy, I think. <laughs> I mean, everything from like the lighting to the seat to whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so having that experience with the bench where I got to meet the marble guy and have it break and then do it again. Sometimes when you go through something like that with a fabricator, it really bonds you together. Mm-hmm. Even though it was a little dicey, at least I got really comfortable around the place. And uh, I started to notice all the scrap that they had. Right. And uh, I think it just, you know, sometimes you put things, things just get locked away in your uh-huh. mind. And I wasn't actively like, oh, I want to make art with that. I think I just took a mental note. And, right. Um, and a majority, I, I guess we should, we should just clarify, a majority of the marble that you're using in your work it's countertop marble, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's all scrap. It's uh, it's floors, it's countertops, it's walls, it's uh, it's 
all remnants from renovations around New York mm-hmm. and because the place I use isn't really like the highest end. Mm-hmm. Um, use the same place every time. Yeah. Okay. I've got a pretty good relationship. Sure. Sure. I, I, I believe in relationships. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have beautiful stone. They have really beautiful stone. They do high end stuff, but they do a lot of like condos okay. and nightclubs and stuff like yeah. that. So you can find some pretty yeah. <laughs> wild stuff there. Um, but yeah, they, they have a lot of Chinese marble, Italian, and some Brazilian. And, uh-huh. you know, it's interesting to sort of see where the stuff comes from. And I always think that the stone looks a little bit like the region. Like limestone really looks like the Midwest to me. Okay. No, that's, <laughs> that's a good observation. So you, you saw these scraps on the side and you're like, wait a minute, there's something there. I didn't think there was something there. I think I just remembered that they were there. And I was like, oh, these... I I actually just really love the look of the piles. I've always been into piles. You have got a few piles in here. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and leaning piles. I guess it's really say. hard to throw the stone away because you never know mm-hmm. when. I mean, I've had pieces that have been here for two or three years that all of a sudden find a mate and make a great piece. Sure, sure. Maybe maybe I could take I could take a second to try and describe for listeners what what's going on in your studio right now. Yeah, so you've sure. got you've got some finished pieces on the wall, and you're just te- you were telling me before we turn the mics on that these are the selections to go out for an exhibition. Um, you've got some experiments going on, it looks like, with stone. Mm-hmm. You've got some smaller works that are cast brass with with smaller pieces of stone set into them like puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And those are small works. Those, you know, I asked you if those are the smallest things you make. Those look like they're about 9 by 12 yeah. or so. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas um, the, the other works in here are much larger than that. Um, I want to say like six, that's bigger than 60, 70 inches by what, 36 inches or something yeah, like that? Yeah, they're like four by six. Something like that. And then you've got this glass piece that um, it's like a stained glass brick wall, mm-hmm. which I want to ask you about in a little bit. Um, and then you've got a stack of wood. We've got a work table we're sitting at. Around the corner, I saw... Uh, that's just not any wood, Joey. Th- that's... Really fancy That's wood. really fancy raw, like old wood, <laughs> old hardwood. Yeah, you're right. Like that's, that's fancy furniture grade <laughs> wood. Um, that's cl- clarify. That's not a stack of two by fours. That's important. Uh, around the corner, I noticed you have a cement mixer that looks like it's unused. Maybe you're going to get ready to mix something oh, up. Oh, yeah. And look at that compressor unused. Isn't and a compressor. Beautiful? So you've got, some, you've got some tools of the trade in here. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I have a um, wood shop through there, too. And a wood shop around that corner. You've mm-hmm. got a little relaxation hang slash lunch zone slash office zone over there with couches, desk, flat file, computer. Um, but this, the, the times I've been over here... I want to say um, this feels pretty active. Is this about as busy as it gets in here, or is it? Oh get no, this cl- is pretty clean. This is pretty clean, because I want to say the last time I was here was more for a social event, so it was sort of cleaned up so people could hang out. Like there wasn't stuff all over the floor, but um, so when you're obviously when you're working on a project, it ramps up in here and it's crazier it's and busy. Insane. And um, this is post freeze. Um, sort of a, a quiet moment before you ramp back up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess some of the things I think about when I take take your work in, where you know, to connect back to light, like we were talking about. I've always saw those fabric pieces as some sort of reference to light or like connecting to exposure. They sort of felt like weirdly exposed photographs. I think about water, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's because I saw elements of water. But I also know you as someone that grew up near water, so there's that connection for me. 
Um, I think about illusion, like these very heavy things that, that you're presenting us as lighter than they actually are, uh, especially now with these sort of hybrid pieces where you're mixing uh, fabric. Is it stretched over MDF mm -hmm. and, then, and then puzzled pieced with the marble? So there's this mixture of heavy and not so heavy things to, to make this object that sort of floats in between. Um, am I, are those accurate? Would you accept those reads of the work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I guess to balance that, what, what am I overlooking or what are other viewers often overlooking or what, what do you, what do you wish I'd brought up in that list? If anything at all? Oh gosh. Um, well, I feel like, uh, you are someone that knows me and has known the work for yeah. a long time. So you're coming from a very, uh, I've seen it grow. Yeah. You've yeah. seen it grow and you're very, you you care, which is you know all that any of us could ever ask yes. for. Cause I think that it's like, I could go down a path of like negativity of the things that I get upset that, you know, people see in my work or that I feel like certain things get overlooked or, you know, people can be a little lazy, mm -hmm. uh, with their view, they can take things in and just think that it's like kind of bordering on design or uh, not understand. Like, you know, a big part of these is the ready-made for me is mm -hmm. the fact that these are these remnants, these scraps that exist as they are. And uh, sort of problem solving is the biggest part of this. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that stems from studying photography, which is that it's a decision making process. Mm -hmm. You know, you are, taking the three-dimensional world and turning it into a 2D image very quickly as a photographer. And that's um, really great training, I think, for making things. Yeah, that's well said. Um, yeah, the ready-made. I feel like some of the first marble pieces you put forward had, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but did they have, like, faucet holes? Like, where, oh, yeah. Like, like, someone ordered a piece of marble for a kitchen or a bathroom and got the actual holes for the faucet cut. They went to install it. It didn't fit. It got returned. Mm -hmm. And then it wound up in your hands. I love mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but maybe, so yeah, those other, those people's, other, mistakes. other, other people's mistakes <laughs> or your treasure. Well, there's a but, lot of recycling going on yeah. in here. You know, it's like there's the recycling of that. And then the small bronze pieces that mm -hmm. you talked about earlier, those are scraps from the larger pieces that have broken off mm -hmm. from us just handling the stone in here. Um, the glass works that we've talked about before, like the fabric that's sandwiched between those is scraps from the larger pieces being made. Everything kind of feeds into each other. Mm -hmm. So. I have multiple bodies of work happening. Even the drawings are based on me looking at other pieces I've already made. Sure. Um, it's, it, it's, I don't know, it, everything kind of uh, flows into it. Sure. It's an ecosystem. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I notice about these, and we're sort of talking about them with the smaller pieces, are the imperfections. You know, you're fitting, these are puzzles at a certain point where you're putting marble together and then, and then, um, fabricating uh, a piece of MDF to fit around it or for that piece of marble to fit into. And it's nearly impossible to get it exact. So there's like these, these, these irregularly irregularities and inconsistencies with like the gaps between things yeah. or the fixes like that, that sliver of, of yellow between the two bigger pieces of marbles, like such a beautiful little shape in there. Um, 
or even where the saw blade has cut the marble. The circular saw blade has to go over itself so it leaves a right angle cut in there. And I like that little bit in the work as well. I think that's like a nice little gesture in there to show that like there was a machine in here and, yeah. and it's not perfect. Um, and I feel like with these more puzzle pieces, there's there's more formal choices being made. Not that your the, the fabric pieces there weren't formal choices because you're like cropping the piece of fabric in a certain way. But there is it feels like the, it, you're more involved with placement in these ones. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm completely involved with placement in these ones. These ones are all about placement okay. and that decision making. There, that's what ties them so closely painting I think is is these formal choices and that's something I've had to mature into is allowing myself to uh be comfortable as someone that really makes formal art yeah <laughs> you know and uh sort of letting yourself be the artist that you are mm -hmm. um I fought against it for a long time I was I was often trying to be the artist I thought I should be who, who, what did you think you should be? Oh, I don't know. Smart, dynamic, awesome. No, I <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I, I just would overcomplicate everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, everything. It, I wanted everything to have like a lesson or a reason or a purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not actually my personality. It's not actually what I care about or what moves me when I look at a piece of art. And I had to boil everything down. And that's something that happens with series for me is that they start kind of with a lot of stuff happening mm -hmm. and they get more and more simplified over time until they kind of erase themselves right and that's sort that's what happened with those dyed paintings is you'll sort of see over time they got more and more minimal and simpler and eventually they kind of got completely white and all the ink was gone and then it was like well yeah they, yeah. they eliminated themselves yeah. um but with the stone i mean these are, they're fossils, you know, they're, they're these things that are these, there's so much history in them. And then to have the, the long-term history of the earth and then to have the short-term history of what they were before they came to me with the saw marks or the faucet holes or whatever it is, like that intended purpose, that loss of intended purpose. Mm -hmm. And then they come in here and they get to be looked at for what they are, which is we, I like strip away all of the intention mm -hmm. and I just try to look at them as shapes and forms and uh create a composition and and that's a lot of intuition and i think that this is something that has taken me a little while to come to which is that uh it's okay to rely on your intuition and that's something that you that's a muscle you've been working on your whole life and some people have it and some people don't it's like finesse yeah you know <laughs> no I, I identify i mean when i'm in the classroom one of the things i try and encourage in my students is like don't you know this like trusting your own in artistic instincts i think that's sort of unfortunately taught out of us in mm -hmm. most uh, educational settings starting at an early age and then we have to try and find it again, especially if you're doing something creative totally and i think that that's a little bit of a toxic scenario that comes out of graduate school or, or having a little too much education is having to answer why endlessly mm -hmm. every critique every studio visit but why why mm -hmm. why why and if you're constantly asking yourself why you're gonna paint yourself into a corner it gets mm -hmm. really stressful right uh so it's i've had to sort of retrain myself to just say because yeah. <laughs> because i say so yeah yeah because <laughs> i want to because yeah. it's fun for me <laughs> yeah well i mean you know we talked about this a little bit before before we started recording this idea of like being satisfied 
Mm -hmm. um, with the thing that you're working on and that how that satisfaction translate into your outlook for the day or your outlook for the week or your outlook for the month. And if you're making work that you're not satisfied with, that's going to like create exhaust that might ruin other parts of your day, your life, you know, in the short and long term. So I think honoring those instincts and trusting those instincts and doing what feels right for yourself so that you feel satisfied that leads to a life worth living mm -hmm. um, for sure. Another big difference, not a big difference, but a, like an interesting um, development from the fabric works is the addition of color. Mm -hmm. um, the, the fabric works were predominantly black and white and very stark and contrasty. And these are contrasty too because you've got the stone and the fabric. But you're introducing color, and that, is that sort of a newish thing the past couple few years? Yeah, I yeah. think the color came in. Uh, you know, it's like I always thought something had to fight to get into my practice, like sort of propose itself as like I deserve to be here or I, I have a reason to exist in here, and color never really did that. Yeah. And then I was like, why am I so serious? Yeah, yeah, no, I get you. I get you. Um, like the, black, the, the the seriousness of black and white. Calm down. Yeah. Um, and I love color, and I, and that's something that I also had to just get over is that I actually have a pretty uh, intuitive sense of color. My mother was a painter, was a great colorist. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a great colorist. It's like another thing that you just kind of have or don't have, I think. And um, yeah, you know, the the uh, the thing I will say about these is that they still relate to sculpture for me because I am reacting to something that exists. So I am choosing these colors based on what the stone kind of tells me to okay. do. So I'm not just like, oh, I want to make an ochre one or I mm -hmm. want to make a forest green one. Like I'm responding to what I think mm -hmm. is complementary or uncomplimentary to the stone, like what is going to be compelling. Right. Uh, and, you know, shopping's a big part of all of this. I shop for the stone. I shop for the fabric. I sort of have to bring all the elements in here and then I mush around until yeah. the elements speak to each Repurpose other. So it's a lot about listening. It's like you put this rock on the floor, you listen to what it wants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know I sound super like, Ooh. no, this is, <laughs> but yeah. I think this is, this is how we talk about this stuff. And that's okay. <laughs> um, well, the colors feel smart and sophisticated and the temperature of them. I get what you say. Like they vibrate with the stone. Or it makes sense with a stone. So it's coming through for me. Like, I understand that decision, that like lavender, that light lavender. I understand that decision of that yellow ochre mm -hmm. uh, relative to the sort of slate gray. Um, it makes sense to me. And the color really sets the mood. You know, it's like if that piece was stark white, it would be um, the stone would be alone. Right. You know, but with right. this color to combat, it's like now there's a relationship between these two things and they're kind of more tension. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't know. Every stone kind of has a thing where you're like, well, if I do this color, it's being quieted down. It's being, you know, kind of hushed. And if I do this color, it's standing out. And you just have to decide, like, what that piece needs. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself going, like, if, I've, if you've made it, like, more quieter piece i like this sort of descriptive term this quiet one in terms of the stone and the the value of the color using do you find yourself like the next piece has to be almost like in reaction to that like i'm going to make this one louder is that there's there is there any sort of toggle 
for you? Because I guess I'm just responding to these two next yeah. to each other. Well, these two really aren't supposed to hang together. Oh, okay. Because they are like opposite spectrums of my yeah. personality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think this one and the lavender, one, the other Blackstone piece um, have more of a dialogue. Okay. But no, I, it's not so structured. It's more like how I feel. I think that, uh, you know, my my so my personality that I present to the world and who I actually am are, are very different. I don't mean that I'm lying. Mm -hmm. It's just, <laughs> uh, I really like to have fun, mm -hmm. you know, and I like, I like to goof around and, uh, make jokes and stuff. But actually when it comes to my work, I'm a little like serious and stoic and maybe borderlining on uh, definitely sentimental. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, are you nostalgic? I can be, and I've tried to kind of work that out of my work because I think that that's a trap a little bit. Okay. But um, sincerity is very important to me. Okay. I need to feel like the work is touching my soul. <laughs> no, I hear you. <laughs> it has to be soulful. And oddly, like in the current climate of like politics right now, like that's my defining thing. Like, is it soulful? Uh huh. Okay, great. Right. <laughs> no, that's that's good. That's fair. And I think that's like an ambitious goal to set for yourself and also a good mechanism to drive you. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if what, like who you are in here, is it is it a is it a is it a is it, a, is it a, an attempt to square who you are outside of here? Like if you're if you're you know, this fun, joke-cracking, you know, person that's, you know, looking for the joy in life or experiencing the joy in life and then come in here and you're, you're like you said, you're more stoic and serious and, like, I sort of feel that. I mean, do they balance? I feel like that's a balancing point and, mm -hmm. and that's, I feel like that's a good line to walk. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. that your studio is supposed to be the space that you get to be your most authentic self mm -hmm. and, you know, and your most uh, yeah authentic honest for um sure. and i surprise myself in here a lot because i don't i don't really think about i don't know i'm not i'm not i'm not somebody that's like crafting a personality you know? yeah 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 um but i think getting to a place where i can come in here and i never want to really leave that i feel really at home mm -hmm. in here and have created an environment I can do that in. My work is like my place that I can do yeah. that. Yeah. You know? I think that's what we all are so, striving like, for in yeah. some form. So when I'm actually in a project and I'm, I'm excited about it and I feel like it's hitting, uh, the fear is gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's the best. Yeah. I wonder if we could talk about how you build some of these. We sort of weaved in and out of it a little bit already. And let's talk about a Marvel piece, because okay. um, I'm curious about how these come together. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Bless you. You you source the Marvel from a shop here in Brooklyn. Yeah, this guy Mang in uh, Greenpoint. And then you bring it back here. Yeah. And then what happens next? What happens next is they, uh, well, it depends on if we have a deadline or if I'm just like, often I go marble shopping when... Um, I have a deadline and I actually, you know, the studio is always full of stone mm -hmm. and I can't pull anything out of what's here. Right. It's not moving me. So I go and 
uh, often when I go, there'll be at least one or two pieces of stone where I'm like, oh, yes, I can already see what I want to do with it. Right. I'm, I'm pumped to get in the studio. And then if I can get one thing going, everything else kind of falls into place. So, yeah, so we get a big stone delivery. If there's a piece that I already know exactly what I want to do with, it goes on the floor. Mm-hmm. I work on the floor because right. they're heavy. Um, I try to buy pieces that Nikki and I can move on our own. I'm trying to keep these within mm-hmm. a realm of, uh, I don't know, not scaling out of a place where I'm, I'm no longer in contact with everything right. that's happening. So yeah, we lay out the stone on the floor. Often it, like you'll come in here and this whole studio will be covered in stone. And you know, I'll think like, oh, these two pieces should be next to each other in my mind. But uh, as I'm like walking around, I'm like, oh, you know what? We have to move this piece that's all the way across the studio over. And so it becomes this sort of physical labor of uh, making pairs or making matches or just trying to figure out which stones are in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. Then once that happens, we lay down MDF and put the stones that I think are working well together on top of the MDF so I can sort of see a framework mm-hmm. um, and get the the... Uh, marble pieces to like have a relationship to the edges of the MDF. Right. Um, Which ultimately becomes the dimension of the piece. Yeah, exactly. And you can also start to see the positive negative. Exactly. Exactly. So, and sometimes I get stuck and we have to like climb up on a ladder and take a photo Mm -hmm. of the stones from above and throw them in Photoshop. And just because it's so labor intensive to constantly move them around. If it's like, oh, we just need to keep tweaking this three inches this way or that way, it'll right make you insane so. plus also like when you're when you have a what i define as the superior view you're above it looking down there's a there's a warp that takes place yeah um and if you're not aware of that it'll look way different when you move it up to a wall so I, that makes sense to me that you're photographing it and then presenting on a monitor so you can see the space more clearly oh, yeah, and totally. it's there's no warp taking place um yeah and then and then you 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 find the right spacing the right composition you cut it and fit it. Well, yeah. Then, then we have to find the boundary. So then we're like, okay, so how tall is it going to be? How wide is it going to be? Where's mm-hmm. and you know these really are math problems. I can't put anything anywhere I want. They build on each other vertically. Okay. So they fit like puzzles. You know. Um, right. I can't just like throw a stone in the middle of a piece of MDF. Right. Because <laughs> because of like the law of physics structurally. Yeah, structurally. It's going to fall off. It's going to not hold well, its I own can't, weight. I can't fit another piece of MDF around it. it oh, right, like right, I right, can't. Right. It, they won't hang. Unless I started to like cut out circles and just like set these right. in and make it and like mount it to a sheet of metal or something. But I like that they come apart in pieces and you have to assemble them mm-hmm. every time. And it makes it easier for everything. Wait, you disassemble these when they leave and then reassemble them in an exhibition space? Oh, yeah. They all come apart. Oh, like, I didn't know this that. Never, this is not how it stays. If it stayed like that, I could do anything I want. And that's just a practical decision in terms of transport or just the fragility of it all? Or I think it, it's like uh, one begets the other. It's like, yeah. yes, it's, it is easier for transport. It makes it so that you could get these up a flight of stairs or into an apartment or... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, as a single piece, they are incredibly heavy. But right. when you break them down into smaller pieces, right. they're like 20 to 80 right. to 90 pounds, you know. Um, Can I ask you a tropey question? Mm-hmm. Do you call these paintings or sculptures? Well, in my mind, if I was like in a position where someone was like, quick, what are you? Yeah. Uh, I'd say I was a sculptor. Okay. But I just call these paintings to uh, stop the pain. Yeah, <laughs> that's well said. Um, but well, I, I guess I ask because there's such a, you know, 
I didn't realize that they disassemble. Yeah. So I was like, wait a minute, these are these are moving objects a lot of the time. Yeah. And then there's still obje objects presented on a wall, like a drawing or a painting. Yeah. Um, so they are starting to straddle both for me. And I guess I wanted well, to see I, what you that's, thought. That's something that every thing I take on, I kind of want it to hit on photography, sculpture, and yeah. painting. <laughs> I want yeah. everything to be everything. Yeah. And you mentioned um, you um, you have uh, a guy, Nikki, who's oh, your, Nikki. your your assistant. Where who, is he? Um, <laughs> he's here somewhere. <laughs> but he's he's here. He's one of your assistants. And you also work with fabricators to help with some of the metal work. Mm -hmm. And I imagine some of the stone cutting happens outside of here. Or no, do you, no. You do all the cutting here, too. There's no stone cutting. It all stays yeah. in the shape that it's in. Sure. Can you talk about like what it's like to collaborate with a small team like that when it's when it's more than just you putting these together oh totally i mean i we yeah it, it team is like a strong word okay um, i mean it's me and nikki basically yeah okay <laughs> three days a week and then i have two days a week alone in here sure um but yeah you know nikki and i've been together for so long it's like we're one mind in some ways well luckily he's right. a lot smarter than me but yeah, you know, it's like the beauty of Nikki is he came to me so young and fresh that I got to kind of teach him how to do things the way that I like them to be done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sound no, like no. Georgia O'Keefe. Um, but yeah, you know, he's he's a wonderful human being that I can like sort of bounce conversations off with. And he always stays neutral enough that it's like I'm talking to myself, Yep. you know, but he's still a human. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, and he's just got an incredible skill and patience. And I'm a really impatient person. I want everything done yesterday. I want everything to be immediate. And this is very I think that's most tedious. people these days. This is very tedious, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the making, like choosing the composition is fun. At, well, sometimes it's really painful, actually. But that part, it's like it's physical. And I'm, I'm like a dog that needs to be run. I really like to just labor and get through Move things. things and I tend to just like push and push and push. And often things break in my hands because mm -hmm. I go too hard too fast. Sure. Um, and Nikki's like the opposite of that. He's patient and he's skilled right. and he's slow and he uh, balances my personality out so that uh, we actually get a product at the end. Right. <laughs> and then there's like the completely awesome thing of having an idea but not having the skill like for example my welder we were talking about is this amazing guy that has 40 years of welding under his belt and yeah i could like do it maybe but i can't do it like he can do it right. and so i have this idea we talk it out and then he makes it happen right and i get to stand there and watch it and i mean that's very exciting. Yeah, for sure. It's really fun. Um, the other cool thing about these, I guess, related to the process, um, and, I, and this was like, this was like a really great treat for me, is when you showed me the backside of that little one. The front of these are elegant, um, beautiful. Um, you can get lost in them. I mean, it's they're designed to be looked at and taken in, and thought about. When you flip the back over, they're like these gnarly frankenstein you use it you use an epoxy putty that looks like peanut butter it's got metal like sticking out of it it's like the exact opposite literally the backside is the opposite of the front that's pretty nasty um 
but uh, I guess I guess I wanted that was my sort of setup to if you could talk about. But how. they're completely structurally sound. I swear. Right, right, right. <laughs> the, the engineering is sound. The engineering is sound. Um, but the but the 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 visual result of that is just like this peanut buttery mess, or what looks like a peanut buttery like mess. Like all of us, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you um, talk about how you arrived at like making these structurally sound? I mean, because that that's a that's a feat in, in itself. Yeah, well, it was a learning curve, you know. Because mm-hmm. um, these, these are a few hundred pounds hanging on the wall. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, Nikki and I first started doing these. We, it's not like. And no one had done them yet. You know, like people have been hanging marble on walls for a long time, but it's not like I was making, it's not like making a painting. It's not like, oh, okay, so this is how you use oil paint. This is like, there's a way to do this. Yeah. Uh, we had to learn by messing up, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, we would use the wrong epoxies. I, I really like to source all my brilliant friends, so... I put out a lot of phone calls, a lot of feelers to figure out what kind of cleating system we should use. My mm-hmm. buddy Richard Gamble, at, who was working at Matthew Marks at the time, helped me out with what cleats to use. Uh, and then we didn't discover this epoxy until this welder came into our lives, mm-hmm. Ben. And it's this incredible epoxy that they build boats and submarines with. And just having the right materials spares you a lot of yeah, <laughs> a lot of having to figure things out. But yeah, I think that. Uh, some intuitive engineering, a lot of failure, and a lot of outsourcing and, and uh, just asking for help yeah. from all the smart people we have. Right. Finding the people that would know yeah. what to do in the situation. Yeah. Um, people are generous, you know. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the epoxy it is a boat repair epoxy or boat making epoxy. Either or. Either yeah. or. Um, and when we were going back and forth via text for before I came over I was sort of like what do you want to talk about and you said my new boat and when you said boat epoxy I was like oh yeah I'm gonna ask Sam about a boat you bought it you have a boat I have a boat tell me about this boat it's a 17 foot 1987 Montauk whaler with a 90 horsepower Tahatsu engine wow I'm very excited about it I have decided to name it good news good news yes no no like slippery spelling it's actually spelled good yeah. news you know I did a, a zine with Petrova Giberson, uh back like 2007. I remember it. Yeah. And it was all boat names. Uh-huh. And I just like cruised. My parents live on this river and I just cruised around all the like. It was all photographs of the back of boats. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, they're, so, and they're like ridiculous titles oh, or so, names. It's so cute. Like, yeah. Real therapy. R-E-E-L. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Like it's either a, like a ocean reference or a fishing reference. Yeah. It's I guess often that's, about mental health. It's yeah. often like playing hooky or like. My, my true love or like yeah. what I would rather be doing. Like the boat is, you know, I, I looked a few up cause I, my, I have a sister that works on sailboats. That's oh, really? her living up in Boston. What she works, she do? She works at, um, a sailing school in Boston Harbor. Oh, and she's like the dog. I know that sailing school. Yeah. So she's like up in the food chain there, like managing all the boats and making sure they're okay. That's actually an incredibly awesome thing. Cause it's free. I think they they do free sailing lessons for a certain age bracket, which Maybe. is like I'm not sure one of the most yeah. amazing things. And then my brother's also um, he's a, a a captain of his own fishing charter business. No way! And he takes people out during fishing season just north of Boston uh, in Ipswich Bay. He takes people fishing, uh, fly fishing for striped bass. 
That's so, oh, it's striper season right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know a little bit about boats, and I know the sorts of names that come on the back of boats. And I looked yes. a few up. I want to, can I share a few that I looked up? Yeah. Um, and they, it's funny. I was like trying to imagine like these drunk New Englanders sitting around <laughs> trying to come up with like a clever boat name. Um, like ship for brains. <laughs> it's a lot of shit references. <laughs> ship face. Uh, deep ship. Uh, this was one of my favorites. Buoys of summer. Oh, that's good. Like boys of summer. That's good. Um, and then there's actually, I guess I'll end it on this one. There's one in my neighborhood. I live in Red Hook and there's boats around there. And there's this boat that's parked in a parking lot. So it's on a trailer. I don't think it's seen water in 10 plus years. But it's a little sailboat without the um, mast or anything. It's just a hull. And the name of the boat is Dot Calm. <laughs> C-A-L-M. And it's funny. It works. Every time I walk by with the kids or something and I'm like stressed out and I read Dot Calm, I'm like, ah, <laughs> it kind of works. It's <laughs> brilliant. Um, so what, this boat, what, what are your plans to do? Are you, is oh, it just like a cruiser? Or God, you, you know, I, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fishing boat. So. Okay. I will fish on it. Um, I will pull jet skier type, not jet skier. What are they called? Water, Water skis? skiers. Yeah, mm -hmm. more more like people on donuts or yeah, things yeah, shaped yeah. like hot dogs or yeah. something. Um, but really, what it is is I put that boat on the water this weekend, and I got it up to like fifty miles per hour going across the bay, and I was like smiling so big that like my teeth got dry in the wind, yeah. and like the tears were just like rolling out of my eyes from the wind power I, it's like so fulfilling yeah it's so fun and it's also familiar for you yeah yeah it's like it, uh, yeah because you 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 know when i went to your wedding you took a boat ride with your dad yeah my dad you, gave you me have a little way. you have a little boat on your parents property yeah. you're on a river of some sort is that like an inlet what is that it's thing? a river it's, it's called a the river. North river so you grew up like near and on boat so it makes yeah. sense to me that this is reintroducing itself in your life yeah. and you know we were talking about the balance of who you are when you're in here versus when you're out in the world in your studio and in the world this boat sounds like a balance to like city life versus who you are when you grew up versus like the escape of from the city in the summertime on the weekends and it's part of that no yeah no, the boat. The boat is is freedom. Yeah, the boat is escape, and no one can. You know, you're out on the water. You're just like spinning around. You're free. Feels good. But yeah, you know, my dad, uh, my dad and I were we both have a lot to say. I don't know. We're <laughs> my dad. We had a very like kind of butting of heads relationship when I was growing up. We're super tight now. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was brutal and. What the thing that we always did was every Sunday I'd go sailing with him, like whether I wanted to or not. Mm -hmm. And I had to mate the boat and I had to work the boat with him. And we never fought on the water. We just like got out there and he calmed down and I calmed down. And we just like would we'd sail for like four or five hours, eat like weird sushi we picked up at the gas station or mm -hmm. whatever, and go home. And you know, you just get this exhaustion that is so comforting from getting off a sailboat so i don't know i guess it's like some kind of thing in my mind of everyone's okay when we're on the water yeah no that's <laughs> i think there's something to that i mean the people i know in my life that are on the water it's some form of evening or leveling or like a way to decompress there's something to that for sure yeah. um 
it's funny, like I had no intention of talking about balance so much when I came over here, but another thing that we riffed about prior to me coming over was this whole like work-life balance struggle for the artist. And um, I think you, you, you used the metaphor of someone that doesn't know about art feeling completely lost when they go to an art museum mm -hmm. and kind of uncomfortable and unsure. And maybe the, the parallel to that was the artist who feels feels uncomfortable and unsure out in the world with mm -hmm. like yeah. normal people for lack of a better term. Yeah, Can you hard. elaborate on, on that sort of well, I just think psychology? That, um, well, I was, my mom was an artist. I was brought up with art. I, uh, and it's, it, this is like an all consuming thing. All my friends are artists. All I do is talk about art. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've always, <laughs> you know, someone will get a new boyfriend and like bring them around and you realize you're like sat at a table and you haven't talked about anything other than like art or yeah. the art market. Or, and you're just like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this just has to be so boring yeah. for you. But it's, I mean, if Eddie and I travel, what we do is we go see art, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, a huge part of our relationship. It's a huge part of my friend. It, all of my friendships stem from it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if I like go to one of my cousin's lawyer parties i feel like i'm acting i don't know what i'm doing there right. i don't know what other people do i mean yeah that's why i like boating <laughs> getting on a boat or oh no, my headphones are um i don't know i think that there's there's certain things in life that people think you're like supposed to do or something that's just like wildly uncomfortable yeah for artists yeah um these but, are parts of the conundrums of being an artist. We want to be treated special but normal at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's we want this, but we don't want that, and like, yeah. it's tough. Um, I did recently, like in the last five years, Eddie and I have made some wonderful friends that aren't artists, and it is so fun to hang out with them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we just shut up. Right. We just don't. You know, we'll talk about business, but we talk about it like work, like they talk about work. You know, right. like he's in finance and she is an amazing chef that runs a place and like yeah we talk about our feelings yeah about what we're doing right. but it's uh i think it's sometimes fun to try and find a crossover in experience like what i do um in my studio or like my way of like thinking about this and this is unromantic but like the thinking about it as a business or how to run with this that's how i can relate to my dad mm -hmm. who doesn't know like knows a little bit about knows about business because that's what he did for a living yeah. he was involved in in running a business um, but he like the act of making the art and the sort of sort of creative decisions is that's that's like a foreign concept to him. So where I'm yeah. able to relate is sort of like you got to keep this thing running. Yeah, moving units and yeah. margins and things like this, <laughs> overhead and, and overhead and like bringing <laughs> costs down. And it's like a fun game sometimes, like figure out how to connect. Yeah, and to something that's unconnected. You know, and in like work ethic for sure. Yeah. Um. um or even just like I think, you know, you and I both grew up in New England. Um, and there's there's some things like with the culture of New England, I think I'm able to use out elsewhere out in the world outside of the the art community that, mm -hmm. that helps me feel like I know how to operate. Yeah. Like So that's an attempt for me to sort of like find balance on like a human to human level with someone that's not involved art. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think the balance also is just this is so... Um, I I don't want to be someone that's like it's so self-indulgent to be an artist, but it is you're you're very much in your own world and doing what you care about and think about all day. Mm -hmm. 
And so something that Eddie and I are trying to start to figure out is how to give back and do some stuff. You know, just get out of, <laughs> I don't know, like work with kids yeah. or do some things like that uh, yeah. that just sort of remind you that you're like a human in the universe and, yeah. and, and give you some connectivity. Like Brian Pilat, uh has that show up at Gavin's. Mm-hmm. And Eddie and I went and drew with some kids up there during freeze week. And it was so amazing, like freeze week, like just like, I'm just like binge drinking and and having meetings and, you know, worrying about my outfit and all this stuff. And then you like go spend an hour with 27 year olds and it's elated. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. it's fun for us. And it just, I don't know, it makes you feel good. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like, um, maybe this is a good spot to talk about your, your partner, Eddie Martinez, who, um, I also did one of these recordings with. And one of the questions I asked him was like, you know, I'm interested in these art couples and, and how they help each other and how ideas exchange. And, um, we talked about you and I feel like it's only fair for me (laughs) to talk to you about him. Uh So I'm curious how you, how you guys help and support each other. Um, and if there's ever any conflict, cause I know relationships inherently have some conflict in them and yeah. I'm not trying to like bait you to talk about your dirt <laughs> by any stretch, but, um, I'm just curious, like how the back and forth takes place, whether it's a studio visit or, or like if you get approached or like there's a project that comes up and you're not quite sure how to, how to take it on or frame it for yourself. Like Eddie's opinion comes into play. I'm sure. Like, What's that conversation feel like? Well, I think navigation is a big thing we work, we mm-hmm. talk about, you know, like what we're doing, what our plan is, how we're going to handle this, how to respond, how much energy to put into something, what's worth, you know, like those types of things. There's great support with that. And, you know, Eddie and I are on very different ends of the spectrum as far as our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we keep separate studios. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people can work together and we're, we just are totally different in the studio um eddie's such a natural artist it's amazing i mean he (laughs) he was just born to paint yeah you know there's no there's no denying that and i really trust his eye and his intuition and he is incapable of lying Mm -hmm. dude cannot lie Mm -hmm. so (laughs) you know uh so often like he doesn't come over here that much because his energy, I'm so sensitive to his energy. He'll come in here and if he's excited, it's awesome. I love it. But if he doesn't like something, there's no hiding it. Right. He'll be trying to hide it, but I'm just like, Oh, it's like someone stabbed me yeah. in the heart. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, well, that must be refreshing. Cause some people like, aren't that clear with, with you in terms of like a studio visit. They like sort of beat around the bush or they like, they're very diplomatic or they, they don't say good or bad. They say something in between. So when Eddie comes over and he's, you can read him right away. That's yeah. probably helpful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, once I get through the pain, he's, you know, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. Um, but you know, he's so, he's endlessly supportive and our relationship's gotten to a point where like, if I finish a piece, it's like, I want to send him Eddie a picture right away. Mm-hmm. I always text Eddie a picture. Um, and we do that, like we'll be in contact all day in our separate studios, kind of texting each other images and, mm-hmm. and talking about what we're up to. Um, but it's also kind of fun having separate spaces cause your partner, like we're so close and we, 
know what's going on in each other's lives so much but then if you haven't been to each other's studio in a while and you go in and you see what your partner's been up to and it's like this whole world they've created yeah it's really fun yeah um yeah. but yeah we we uh we use each other a lot for that type of stuff yeah that's great um so some people that do not know your work and do not know who you are will will probably see the the name that's like on on the little website that I have Sam Moyer and automatically assume that you're a man and this is has been an issue in the past mm -hmm. Sam is not a man <laughs> are you comfortable sharing one of those stories I think I think yeah, it's sure. kind of it's it's uh there's some yeah relevance there well I mean the joke to the current the joke when moment. I was like making those paintings was like let's keep the rumor alive the paintings yeah. are selling. Like, well, it's funny because I was talking. I was talking to my 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 um, crack team of researchers, aka <laughs> my wife and my daughter, in this. And I was telling them I was coming over, and mentioning this to them, that Sam has been confused as a man in press, and it's been printed, or people have assumed that you're, you know, just out there. It's like in the air. And Aniki was like, "I bet you that's worked for." Her. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> no, it's totally sorry to interrupt worked. there, but it's I, totally worked for yeah. me. She's right. I mean, that's like we could do a long, which is awful, a long emotional, yeah, you know, conversation about that. But my favorite ever was the New York Times did a cover. I was in a group show at Public Art Fund around 2010, and they mentioned me and they they called me a dude. And uh, Public Art Fund reached out to the New York Times. And the next day, they printed a correction: the artist Sam Moyer is a woman. Period. <laughs> did you get it? Was it in print or just online? It was in print. Wow. I want it. I, I, I have it in my archives. Yeah, yeah. It's like the greatest. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times it's like collectors. Like, I'm so surprised she's a woman. I really like the work. You know? That's, <laughs> Stuff like that's that. That's awful. Or like, As if oh, I love knowing she's a woman. I love thinking about her, like, moving all this stone around her studio. And I'm like, yes, I do it naked. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it becomes a fetish in a weird way. Like. You're def you're defying like a like a like a a, a patriarchal expectation yeah. from a certain group of people, um, and they they are running with that in a way. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's like the this idea that like women are weak and can't lift things up. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> women women lift a lot of things. Up. I guess on that front, like you know, this is going back into the the contemporary art world and and. You know, it's not a perfect place. It's an evolving place, I'd like to think, and a, like progressing forward, hopefully, to be a better version of itself. Mm -hmm. But if you had a magic wand, or like, what are some of your frustrations out there? If you get, if you could correct things, like, is is it you know the 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 overt sexism out there? Would you want to erase that, or um, what do you see as some things that could be addressed? sooner than rather than later oh, that's a tough one it's a tough one because it's like there's so much wrong mm -hmm. you know and basically it's a business right like the art world's a business and what they have to predict what's going to be successful is history and historically what's been successful are white male painters and so white male painters are like you know i i don't want to go down as the person that's like grumpy about this mm -hmm. it's, it's just the way it is it's like you see auction results all these are based on like what has happened prior so we just don't have the history we haven't been permitted the history of women to be making these kind of like numbers at auction or this kind of effect that 
uh, we're treated equally because historically we just don't measure up. Right. Uh, which is for, you know, reasons <laughs> of suppression or whatever. Yeah, systemic, um, systemic reasons. But yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that's the hardest is that there's just this, uh, because of the way that money works and how hard it is to live in New York and how expensive everything is, fiscal success equals success. Mm-hmm. And there's so many artists that are just, fucking insanely good artists that even like you just literally is impossible to sell their work like right. <laughs> it's just so hard right and how do we keep that in the conversation how do we honor those people and make sure that they're consistently part of the dialogue and not getting pushed to the perimeter because there isn't like some big money behind them right right i agree and that's something i've talked about with other artists in this context is Measuring the 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 success of a work based on whether it's selling or not is a flawed mindset to get and into. And how many times have we been wrong? You right. Know, how many times do we have to learn that? Right. Uh, right. Um, I guess I'd, I'd like to get back to the work. Yeah. Uh, one of the reoccurring questions I ask, or are I like to bring up in these recordings, is this idea of who who's behind the work. Like, I want to believe in this idea that the work is more than just us. Mm-hmm. I know Eddie's plays a big role in this work mm-hmm. as your partner in crime, as another important artist whose work you really like. Um, I'm wondering, wondering what other artists, things, experiences, people are, are part of this work. What, is, what has been supporting it over the years? What, who, who are you thankful for for this work? Oh, God. So, I mean, it's like I'm getting my Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think it's I think it's a good question because there's this there's this idea that like. It's just me and and oh, God, no, I'm I'm alone. But I think that's short sighted and 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 not quite accurate. So I like to be I like to open it up. Well, let's see. I mean, there's also people that help you. And at the time, you're really resistant. And later, you're like, oh, wow. You mm-hmm. know, like when I was in grad school, I was pretty resistant to the teachings of Jessica Stockholder. And now I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for everything that she said to me. Um, but, you know, there's there's emotional support. There's like my friend Mika Tajima or Graham Collins that are people I go to when I'm, I just trust their eye. Mm-hmm. Uh and I feel like they know me well enough that we can kind of like cut right through it. And I can say, is this bad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this dumb? Right. <laughs> Spare me. Um, you know, and then there's people like Rachel Offner that supported me through everything. And uh, God, I can't even. Um, but then there's Eddie and there's like my dad and there's mm-hmm. my mom. My mom was a painter who just was someone that was like so uh, capable. Mm-hmm. You know, and so a lot of my, I think a lot of my ability to make this work is that it's never occurred to me that I can't. Mm-hmm. And that's because I was raised in this way where, yeah, there wasn't this like sex divide. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we, right. we labored. Well, you, you, you had know? parents that were, were creative people. Your mom was a painter mm-hmm. um, or is a painter. And your dad works in movies as a lighting guy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting when I learned that it's sort of, made sense for me in some of your work like i saw some of that peeking in yeah that interest in light and the effects of light or the presentation of light um in the work too so it's like, really hard to be a little kid and go to a movie set mm-hmm. and see like what 
that setup looks like and how insanely overwhelmingly beautiful mm-hmm. all that equipment is and then to know that your dad did it mm-hmm. is like i mean yeah it set me up that's just it's like, pretty cool yeah. and it showed up in some of your early work too like you know, i mean you studied photography and light plays obviously plays a huge role in photography but i remember one of your first shows at ps1 where you did your moving blanket thing with some also with some pictures of water like printed and stretched on some sort of stretcher frame but then you had very dramatic lighting behind them yes. and then like <laughs> like a year or two later when i found out your dad was involved in lighting i was like oh this is making sense to me and i, I like to point out that yeah. that sort of dna uh to some of our ideas or where this work comes from in oh, these totally. in this setting um i'm about to do a portrait of my dad um in la i'm doing a show at joan gallery okay and my dad just retired and he's got a storage unit out that's really close to the gallery actually mm-hmm. and so i'm going to take all of his equipment and make sculptures out of it and he's going to come out with me and we're going to light the whole thing together oh that's gonna be great yeah a collaboration yeah for sure portrait of my father um <laughs> and then another recent um a piece that you're working on that's going out for a show at 56 henry is this mm-hmm. glass piece which is another uh, material that you, you use on and off in your studio practice can you can you walk me through that one a little uh you know in yeah a totally minutes? so this is uh it's a stained glass window where every piece of the stained glass window is a hand-baked brick it looks like a brick wall every brick is individually painted and uh we have a kiln in here that we've been cooking the bricks with mm-hmm and it was an idea that I actually had years ago, and I did one of those cold calls, send in a PDF to a place, like, I've got this idea for you, to no response and uh, humiliation. But um, <laughs> you got to That's a good story, because we've all done that. How many times have we applied for that oh, residency God. or grant, and you get I had like a... Uh, 14 month period where every single thing I proposed said no. Every studio visit I had turned into nothing. Everything I proposed got shut down. I was just like checking my horoscope. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had this idea. This, this institution was a big brick building and I wanted to fill all their windows with stained glass brick windows because I thought it would be incredible that at night you'd have this illuminous, when the lights were on, you'd have these like illuminated brick windows and when you're inside during the day you'd have this pink light cast from these windows and I do remember like you know my dad's Jewish my mom's Catholic and we would go to this church in Wisconsin that um my grandfather had like helped raise the money for one of the stained windows I don't remember what it was but his name was like in the stained window Mm -hmm. stained glass window and I just always love stained glass windows I just have always loved them and uh they're like this art that's part of the architecture there's this uh, I don't know, cohesive relationship. Sure, sure. And yeah, so basically I had this idea. It never happened. And then I'm in love with uh, Ellie Rimes. Um, I'm not afraid to say it. At 56 Henry. Yeah. The founder and director. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, the heart of the art world. <laughs> um, and uh, she kind of was like, do you ever want to do it? I can't do her voice. <laughs> She's got such a voice. Oh my God, if you ever (laughs) want to do something. (laughs) Hi, Joe. (laughs) So she was like, if you ever want to do something, uh, let me know. And, you know, it's like, and then Trump was president. And 
every idea I had was a brick wall. And then I went to visit some schools and all the kids were making drawings of bricks. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like the universal experience right now. This right. like obsession with bricks. It's pointing to it. Um, and then I was like, well, I really want to do this stained glass project, but I just don't know where to do it. And then it dawned on me that 56 Henry is a brick building. There's only one window. Thank God, because this is the most tedious, difficult thing I've ever done in my entire life. Really? Oh, my God. It's funny because it doesn't look as complex as some of these, but this, I mean, I mean maybe it's the, this the took fragility me three of the months. This is insane. Okay. I could only bake four bricks at a time. They were always mm. exploding because this is another thing where I didn't know what I was doing. I was teaching myself with the help of Ben kind of like throwing me a bone every once in a yeah. while of what to do. I had to completely learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And it was slow, which is good for me. But um, yeah, it was a nightmare. Um, there's also something, you know, just dawning on me now, but, the the material, the physical, uh, you know, bricks are these hard stone or clay things that have been fired to feel like stone and they're rigid. Um, and glass is the complete opposite it's of that. The most it's the vulnerable thing. It's the really vulnerable thing. So there's that dichotomy that is really interesting. Yeah. And then how that ties into your stone mm -hmm. work. So there's, there's something about material. Bricks are also like a mass-produced thing, and every single one of those bricks is hand-painted. Yeah. So it's everything that I work on, I try to have, like, there's the polarity. And I think that when opposites crash together, that's when things really emphasize their true nature. And mm -hmm. that's when, I don't know, you can really see... You can really see mm -hmm. what each thing yeah, is. Yeah, that's, no, that's well said. Everybody's well said. character is shining when it's with its opposite. That's well said. So you have this coming up in a few weeks? Yeah, she keeps moving the date on me. It's supposed to be, now I think it's June 7th. Okay. So this summer at some point. God, yeah. Um, what other, do you have any other projects that um, you're excited about? Or maybe they're, they're unrealized projects or a dream project or a, uh, uh, an art goal of some sort? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it's a tall order, but I no, like it's hard because it. you have those. And like, I've actually had some opportunities recently where people are asking for proposals for like, the sky is the limit and mm -hmm. i've just been paralyzed like i'm like here's 75 ideas like right i'm having a filter issue right now where i'm just uh Some, too excited those are those are situations sometimes where boundaries are helpful no kidding like, <laughs> ring it in or yeah. whatever the phrase is rain, so rain it rain it there rains it rain. <laughs> um it's a horse thing so are any of those projects i mean is there something sort of lining up well, no, because I have to get the proposals together. Okay. I mean, it's like I'm getting in my own way. But, yeah, there's some exciting stuff on the horizon I can't talk about that okay. uh, I have to really get. You know, the other thing is is that you have to really get behind the idea. I myself, like, it's like I am making that many proposals because none of them are hitting the mark. It's not, I can't stand behind every single one of them. Right. I'm, I'm making those hoping to, like, guide my way through the darkness sure. to find the thing that connects and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to have investment and work. It's a good point. These things take time. So they have to cook a little longer yeah. before you figure out so, the yeah. solution. So, yeah, so I have the 56 Henry. I'm doing the thing with my dad at Joan that opens June 17th. Mm -hmm. And then I have my solo show with Sean Kelly coming up uh, end of October. This and, fall? Yeah, and I have not started. Well, you have a you have a fun summer. Yeah, I had of boat riding and art making. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I feel like this may be a good place to to round it out. Um, yeah, sure. 
This is great. Thanks. I'd like to learn so much Thanks, about Charlie. the work. Um, you know, I'm always really excited to see this stuff. And I'm, you know, I mentioned this before we, we recorded, but, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, an admirer and supporter oh. of the work. And I've loved to see it. I've loved watching it sort of shift and change and develop and grow. That's been a, a really exciting thing for me. And um, I'm really happy for all the successes you've had and oh. may they continue into the future thank you joe and hopefully i can come riding on the boat this yes all right thanks Sam. <laughs> thanks for and we've made it to the end a quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.